We are actually going to catch uh, parts of two chapters, the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3. And I wanted to use this as an opportunity to remind you that the chapter breaks are not inspired by God. When God inspired his word, he just gave a straight through letter. However, it might have been recorded. Generally, I, I think of the New Testament as letters. But straight through, um, there were no verses, there were no chapter breaks. Man has added those to make it easier to find things. Just like there are page numbers in your Bibles, it's easier to find it if I say, hey, turn to page 437, except the page numbers aren't consistent across different Bibles. The chapters and verses are. So we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 23, through chapter 3, verse 12, and it's easy for us to find those. But like I said, those weren't originally inspired. And so this particular one, um, the chapter break kind of comes right in the middle of the account of the story of the episode that we're going to be looking at. <clears throat> this is, um, it, it can be viewed as two separate sections because there are two different interactions that Jesus has with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders. But they actually tie together, and that's why we're going to be looking at these uh, in one smooth flow through both of them. And then at the end, we're going to be um, wrapping up with kind of a, a section break. We've been looking at these five interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees and different questions that they ask and different things that went on. But then at the conclusion of this section, we're going to be transitioning into a new section in the book of Mark. It's not a major change because it's going to be more of similar things that have been happening. Jesus is still going to be going out. He's still going to be teaching. He's still going to be healing. He's still going to be doing these things. But the focus shifts from his interaction with the Pharisees to his interaction with his disciples. And so that's going to kind of be the conclusion of what we're looking at. But if you, if you go back to the last couple of weeks, what, have, what are the interactions that we've seen with the Pharisees over the past couple of weeks? Anybody remember? I know it's a pop quiz and I'm putting you on the spot, but... Okay. The main thing is that they are questioning his authority. Who is Jesus to make these statements, to do these things? And we started off with one in which he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Pharisees ask a very valid question. Is, who, who does he think he is that he would be saying that? Because only God can forgive sins, and that's true. Which means that Jesus is setting himself up as God. You know, there's, there's a lot of people in the world who, who kind of look at Jesus and like, well, you know, he was a good teacher. He was a nice guy. He, we can learn certain things from him. No, no. He set himself up to say, I am God. I have the authority of God. I was there at the beginning. I am God. And so, as we've been going through this, I've asked several times that, that question, what are you going to do with Jesus? And that's really what Mark is setting up. He's giving information. He's letting people know this is who Jesus is. He's not who you might have thought he would be. He's not who you might you know, want him to be. He's not just this, this soft, gentle whatever. He's something bigger than that. He's something far more impactful than that. Well, after that first interaction, they had a few more questions and issues and things that came up. And now we're coming to the final confrontation. 
Now, obviously, this isn't at the end. It's not the final confrontation. There's, there's more that happens. But in this section, in this series that Mark is giving us, it, it's going to come to a head. And it's going to be a deciding moment, a, a point at which either you acknowledge this is who Jesus is or not. What are you going to do? And that's, Jesus is actually going to set this up intentionally and say to the Pharisees, this is the moment. You've got to decide. Are, are you going to accept that I am who I am or not? And that's, that's what we're going to be looking at here in just a moment. In this final of the five interactions that Mark sets up between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, we're going to find that he intentionally addresses them and confronts them and lets them know, I am God himself. I have the authority. I have the power. So we're going to start off, like I said, reading in verse uh, 20. Did I say 22 or 23? It's supposed to be 23. Uh, Starting off in verse 23 of Mark chapter 2. It says, And it came about that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, See here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he gave it also to those who were with him. And he was saying to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And he entered again into the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, in order that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Rise, come forward. And he said to them, it is, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. And Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed, and also from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Indomia, and beyond the Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude heard of all that he was doing and came to him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the multitude, in order that they might not crowd him. <clears throat> and he had, for he had healed many, with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed about him in order to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits beheld him, they would fall down before him and cry out, saying, You are the Son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to make him known. As I mentioned, this series of interactions is the ultimate, who is Jesus, and how will you, the Pharisees, respond to him? How are you going to deal with him? Well, it starts out, and it says, it came about that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, in, in their time, that would mean a whole lot of things. They would know exactly what's going on, the situation, the setting. For us, that's a little bit less normal. 
that's a little bit unusual. So I want to take a, a few moments and kind of dig into what's going on in this setting, in this place. I haven't noticed a whole lot of grain fields around here. And so what kind of thing are they doing with that? And we don't worship on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not a big deal to us anymore. So why does that matter? What difference does that make for the setting and what's going on? Well, throughout the Old Testament, God had uh, started them and set them up and given them various laws that they were supposed to follow. And one of them that they were used to is found in Deuteronomy 23, verse 25, in which if you're walking along and you go through somebody's grain field, you are allowed to pick some of the grain and eat it. That is not stealing. That is the way that neighbors help one another. And so if someone's hungry, they are more than welcome to pick a little bit. Now, the law did say you are not allowed to take a sickle. You're not allowed to cut any of it. And when it's dealing with like going into the vineyards and things like that, you're not allowed to take any with you. You can't put it into your bag, into your pouch, and haul it off. You're not allowed to do that. But they did have laws in which you were welcome to be walking along and see somebody's fruit or see somebody's grain. And if you're hungry, go ahead and get a little bit. Take that, eat it, and continue on your way. And so that's what they're doing. And as we get into this, the, the Pharisees have zero issue with that. That is exactly according to the law. They were more than welcome to. However, the Sabbath, that's where the real question comes up. That's where the real issue between Jesus and the Pharisees is going to be, not in just one, but in both of these interactions that we find. And so I, in the uh, pre-study, I encouraged you to kind of look at, dig into what is the Sabbath? Does anybody know uh, what the Sabbath is, what it was, why they had it, anything of that nature? Okay, it was a day of rest. God had designated a particular day, a particular day every single week, in which they were to rest. Now, one of the things that I, I asked for was what is the definition? Does anybody know just, just the straight, regular definition of a Sabbath? Rest is one of the ways. Okay, it's a day of rest of the heart. We're supposed to, to pause. I think I heard another one out. Anybody else know what, what Sabbath means? Do what? Okay. In, in, in their time and culture, it was the seventh day of the week, but the, the word itself means to cease, to stop, to pause. Uh, the idea is of an intermission. They're in the middle of doing things. They're working. Life is happening. They're going and doing. And then they take a pause, an intermission, a rest. And then they continue on. And that, that was intended. That was expected. Uh, this comes up actually as part of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. God commands them to rest. And the reason that he does so goes back to creation. We've been talking about answers in Genesis and some of the foundational things and why, why is it so important that the first book of the Bible is understood? Well, one of them is that's the basis for so many different things that go on. God created in six days and then on the seventh, he rested. Now, did God get tired? Did he have to take a break? No, obviously not. So why did he do that? Well, he did it as an, do what? As an example, he did that as an example for 
man. And then he puts into his laws a command that says, because I rested, you rest. Now, it's not focused as much on the physical rest as was mentioned. It's the heart, a rest for the heart. The intention, the goal, God's desire was that they would have that as set apart as a special time in which they were able to focus on him. They were to, to worship him, to spend time with him. They weren't supposed to work and go and do and make it a regular part of their, their normal week. They were supposed to pause, to take an intermission, and then continue the next day. And um, this was of such significance and importance that in Numbers chapter 15, we find God declares that this is a capital offense. If someone violated the Sabbath, if they were working on the Sabbath, they were to be executed. And that, that occurs, like I said, in Numbers 15, verse 32 through 34. There's an example of someone who goes out and they're gathering wood and they're working on the Sabbath. And that was not allowed. So, this is a very important thing. This is commanded by God. It was of capital offense to violate the Sabbath. So it's a big deal. So when the Pharisees start asking questions about the Sabbath, again, it's, it's reasonable to recognize that this is important. It was so important that God put it as part of his Ten Commandments, and God made it a capital offense to violate. The problem is that the Pharisees weren't understanding the purpose of the Sabbath, what was going on. In their minds, it was all about the physical, all about you're not allowed to work, you're not allowed to do things. And so one of the things that they weren't allowed to do was harvest on the Sabbath. That actually does come up in Exodus uh, chapter 34. Even during harvest time, during reaping time, you're not allowed to violate the Sabbath. You need to pause. You need to recognize who God is and have that special relationship with him. So harvesting was not allowed. And there are actually, if you go through the Old Testament, you'll find four items that are specifically mentioned um, in the, the books of the law that they are not allowed to do. One of them is, is plowing. One of them is reaping. One of them is kindling fire. That's in Exodus 35. And one of them was gathering wood. That was in Numbers chapter 15. But that's about it. The Old Testament law... The, the law of Moses does not go into great detail about do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. You're not allowed to pick this amount of grain, but you're allowed to pick that amount of grain and, and all of those things. The Pharisees, however, they, they weren't satisfied with that. They were looking at that and were like, well, so I'm not allowed to kindle a fire. Um, how then can I, can I cook? on the Sabbath day. Well, I'm not allowed to cook on the Sabbath day because that would mean that I have to have a fire, which means I can't have hot food on the Sabbath, except nobody likes to not have hot food. So I can cook the night before, and as long as I keep it warm, I can eat it hot. But when I keep it warm, I can't have it in the coals because if I stir the coals, then I end up making fire, which that's not allowed. So I can, you get the point. They, they get delving into this to such a degree. Um, currently, uh, in, in the Mishnah, which was kind of the oral traditions, the teachings of the, the rabbis and the, the teachers at that time, they had 39 different categories of rules and laws that they could not violate on the Sabbath day. Jesus is aware of all of these. He knows the traditions. He knows what they're teaching and, and these arguments and these discussions. And, and the normal process that the rabbis would go through 
is not necessarily to go back and say, okay, what, do, what did Moses say? What are the specific prohibitions? We're not doing that because we want to honor God. We want to have this set apart. We want to pause and rest and recognize who God is and fellowship and commune with him on this, this sacred day. Instead, they said, well, you know, we, we want to have these rules and then extra rules and then build a fence around the rules to make sure that there's no way that we violate these rules and then add some extras just to be sure. And that was what the Pharisees had done. Well, Jesus, in this interaction, he responds to them in a way that they are going to understand. And I, I find it fascinating. I think it's, it's amazing the response that he has. Let's go back and take a look. I'll read uh, 23 through 25. So it came about as he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. Again, we said that's nothing wrong with that, with the picking. The question comes down to on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were saying to him, see here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and became hungry, he and his companions? So Jesus is going to go back to Scripture, and he's going to give them an example. One of the things that they would normally do in, in developing and trying to understand all of these, these laws and these rules and these regulations that they were adding, they would always try and point back to some example or some, some thing, whether it's a person or an individual or something in, in Scripture. They wanted to point to something and say, hey, hey, look at this one. That's what gives us this reason. Well, if we look at what David did, um, he was on the run. He and his unit had run away from Solomon, that, or sorry, from Saul. That happened uh, quite frequently. And in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we see an episode in which they were running away, trying to escape, and it was last minute. They hadn't made preparations. They didn't have food. They weren't carrying all their provisions. And they come to a priest. And they're like, hey, we need some food. We need, we need something. We need some provisions. Well, the priest looks around and he's like, I, I don't have anything. We, we don't have provisions that we can give you. The only thing that I have is this sacred bread. And if you, if you go back and you study in the Old Testament, there was certain bread that was laid at the altar each, um, each week. It was prepared and it was laid there, 12 loaves, and then they would be taken away and a new set would be put out. Well, that, that was taken away, that was for the priests. They were allowed to eat that. That was for them. And that was all that the priest had. He said, I, I don't have anything else except for this. Now, was David allowed to have that? Was David supposed to have that? No. It was set apart. It was set apart and reserved for the priests. Jesus is even going to acknowledge that. Um, in verse 26, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he gave it also to those who were with him. Now, this is, is a section that's a little bit challenging. Um, you know, what's going on? Why was it okay? Was, was David supposed to do that? What, what's um, this whole case and thing going on? And, and I understand that there's some debate and difficulty understanding all the ins and outs of it. Um, but Jesus is about to point out that the purpose of the laws is not to restrict and not to make things difficult and hard for people, but to set them apart and reserve them for God, to build their relationship with him, to draw them closer to him. 
That was the whole point of the Sabbath, was that they rest and pause from their work so that they could focus on their relationship with God. In this instance, the priest even addresses the fact that um, they aren't really who this was intended for. But if they're set apart, and that, that's, go back and read 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 9. If those individuals were set apart and special for God, then it would be okay for them to go ahead and eat the bread this time because it's an emergency situation. This isn't setting up a new norm that they were always supposed to, but it's an emergency situation. They're allowed to partake of this, and the priest allowed them to have that bread. Well, Jesus points to it and says, hey, if, if David's allowed, David and his men are allowed to eat something that's not lawful, it's not the norm, it's not what, what they ought to be doing, and yet God allowed that, why are you making such a huge deal about my disciples eating a handful of grain? Like, let's, let's think about this. This doesn't make sense. And that's where um, Jesus kind of concludes this in verse 27, and he was saying to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again, Jesus is setting himself up in this position as Lord, as, as the one in charge of the Sabbath. So these Pharisees, they're, they're trying to tell him the, the wherefores and, and how everything's supposed to flow. He's like, no, you guys, you're, you're completely missing it. You're not understanding. It's not about the work. It's not about the grain. It's not about these physical things. What is the purpose? What is the point? God created the Sabbath for man, not men for Sabbath. God didn't create men to have to follow all of these rules and regulations just to, to beat them down and be hard on them. He created these rules and regulations, kind of like I was talking about with the, the wire, to protect them, to guide them, to help them. God provided the Sabbath so that they wouldn't get so caught up and tired and, and doing all of these things that they would neglect to remember that they were set apart, that they were special, that they had a relationship with the God of the universe, the creator of all things, that they had an opportunity to spend with him. So he made it a law and a regulation to help them be able to do that. Now, in this passage, it looks like this isn't just a one-time event. The, the verbs that are used, the way that this is happening, it seems like this kind of an interaction takes place over and over and over again. Where Jesus and his disciples would be doing something and the Pharisees are constantly asking him this type of thing. Why aren't you following the law? Why aren't you following the regulations? We're actually going to come up on some more of those later on in which places where the Pharisees are like, hey, why aren't you obeying the traditions of the elders? Why aren't you, uh, it's dealing with hand washing. Again, there are laws about when they're supposed to wash hands, but the Pharisees don't understand the reason, the background, the purpose of those. Well, these kinds of interactions happen, it appears frequently, over and over. This is a regular thing in which Jesus has to deal with these. And in this one, he answers them in a way that they would understand and Jesus' conclusion then is that the laws surrounding the Sabbath were not to make men follow rituals, but to assist them in resting in their unique relationship with God. Here it is that God himself established the rules, and God himself is there helping them understand the rules. And Jesus says, hey, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one who has the authority, has the ability to tell you what this means and what's going on. But the Pharisees didn't really like that. They didn't follow it. They didn't listen. 
And so after this, it, it looks like the Pharisees are not very happy. Jesus used their method of pointing to an example and then expounding upon that, and he, he defeats them. They have no response. They didn't have anything that they could say in answer to that, of why, oh, your, your disciples, they're still wrong, even though you just proved us inaccurate, uh, they're still wrong. They, they didn't have an answer. So we get the impression that they, um, they were rather upset about this idea that they weren't following the rules and doing things the way that uh, the Pharisees wanted them done. So they set out to trap Jesus. I mentioned that these interactions kind of show us who is Jesus and then ask that question, how are you going to respond to him? If, if Jesus has just shown you from Scripture what they're doing is okay, wouldn't you think that your response ought to be, oh, well, Jesus knows what the Bible is. Jesus is God himself. I should listen to him. I should obey him. But that's not what the Pharisees do. The Pharisees, instead, they are watching for an opportunity to get him, to nab Jesus, to get him in trouble, and ultimately, um, it's going to get pretty, pretty ugly. See, they don't, they don't have a response, so it looks like they just continue into the synagogue. Whether this is the same day or not, it, it doesn't clearly say. I look at it, and I, I think, like I said, that this flows straight through. They were on their way to synagogue, and when this happens, they pick some grain. As they are, are going, they arrive at the synagogue, and this next situation happens. Um, there's nothing that, that says it had to be a different day, nor anything that specifically says it has to be the same day. But he goes into a synagogue in chapter 3, and a man was there with a withered hand. Now, it seems like this is Again, a normal occurrence. Jesus goes with his disciples on a regular basis into the synagogue. That's what they were supposed to do. That was a normal thing, and Jesus uh, followed those. He didn't have a problem with following the regular uh, cultural activities, nor did he have any issue with obeying the Old Testament law. There were things that they were supposed to do, and Jesus does those things. He gathers with the other leaders, the other men, and um, has interactions, studies God's word, teaches them, trains them, interacts with them, all of those types of a deal. Well, it looks like this is one instance of many in which he goes in, and they see this man who has a withered hand. Now, I want you to notice as, you go, as we go through this uh, section of chapter 3, that it is not the man with the withered hand that the focus gets put on. He's, he's, I, I don't want to downplay him, but he's kind of a prop that's used in order to put this focus on Jesus and his interaction with the Pharisees. That, uh, again, it's not to downplay him, but it just says that he was there. He was probably there often. It, we, we get the impression that that's his normal thing as well. So most likely Jesus had seen this. However, Jesus is going to use this as an opportunity to really make a point, to drive home and to have this, this interaction in which he sets up this confrontation and then follows it through. <clears throat> in this instance, Jesus uh, arrives and sees the man with the withered hand, and the Pharisees arrive, and they're watching. They've been watching. They continue to watch to find a way in which they might accuse him. They were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath day in order that they might accuse him. Now, just, just pause for a moment. Think about that. What was the purpose of the Sabbath? 
Do what? To worship. To be set apart. To focus themselves in their heart and their mind and their attitude on God and not on the things around them. Not on work. Not on other stuff. And these Pharisees, they just got done having this interaction and, and accusing Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath. And where is their mind? What are they focused on? What are they thinking about at this point? How to trap Jesus. That's not thinking about God. That's not focused where it's supposed to be. We're going to, as we go through this, I want you to notice the Pharisees, the ones who are so strict and so much about doing it the right way and following God and doing all the laws, they're going to be breaking it left and right. As we go into this, do what? Hypocrites. Exactly. Exactly. So their attention is not in the right place. Uh, They were looking for an opportunity to accuse him. Now, up to this point, we've seen Jesus do some things on the Sabbath that was questionable, we'll say. Um, the first one was, in, in a synagogue, he cast out a demon. But, you know, that demon was, was interrupting, so that might have been okay. They didn't make a big deal out of it at that point. He casts out the demon and, and gets rid of him. Um, and then there's another episode that we have already seen in which Jesus heals Peter's mother, but that happens in a house, and so it's hearsay. They, they want to accuse him. They want to get after him. But, but they don't have solid evidence yet. They don't have a moment in which they can just stick it to him and get him in trouble for violating the Sabbath in a big, major way. Well, Jesus knows that that's what they're wanting. That that's what they're looking for. So he sets up this confrontation. In verse 3, he said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. Now, <clears throat> In, in the synagogue system, the, the teachers of the law, the, the elders, the rabbis, they would be kind of up front in, in a semicircle type of an idea, and they would be the main focus, and then everybody else would kind of be outside of that. And they would have discussions, there'd be a reading, they would, they would go through a, a regular process, but, but it was unusual, it was rare to call up someone from outside of the rabbi circle and bring them in. The rabbis were the ones discussing, and everybody else just listened and heard and, and understood the things that they were trying to teach. Well, here, Jesus brings forward this individual, puts them right in front of everybody. There is no missing this interaction. And Jesus is the one who initiated it. He's the one who sets this up. Pretty much everywhere else, we see people come to him and ask for healing. This guy, he was just there. He was, he was a part of the regular service. But Jesus points him out and says, come up here. And he brings him up. And then he said to them, now who's that? It's referring back to the Pharisees. Jesus, his, his focus is not on this man. His focus is on his interaction with the Pharisees. He said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill. See, the animosity has been growing between them, between the Pharisees and Jesus, and they've been looking for an opportunity. They've been trying to find a way to, to get him. And Jesus puts this man front and center, knowing what they're trying to do, to make sure that everyone sees it. There's no question, there's no doubt. Everyone's going to know what's going on. They, they, the Pharisees, were so concerned about what was lawful that Jesus just asks them a simple question. Uh, he brings it all together. No more, no more ifs and ands or questions or, or arguments or anything like that. He asks them a question just like they are constantly doing, just like they would understand. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? 
That's the, that's the question that needs to be put to them. Can you do good things on the Sabbath? It's reasonable. But Jesus doesn't allow it to be quite that simple. He makes it a bigger question. Can you do evil? Can you do bad things? Can you do harm on the Sabbath? He, he sets up this, well, which one is it? Now, what did we just notice that the Pharisees were wanting to do? They were trying to trap him. They were trying to get him. They were looking for And so not only is Jesus asking a a question that everybody needs to consider, what, what am I supposed to be doing on the Sabbath? Am I supposed to be doing good things or bad things? He's also pointing out that the Pharisees, they're trying, they're looking for, they want to do harm. But then he, he expands it, and he goes from this, this smaller to a, to a bigger thing. He puts it to them with a, a little bit bigger question. Is it lawful to save a life or to kill? Now, obviously, anyone with any kind of a brain realizes God's intention was not that people die because of inaction or because of harming them on the Sabbath. God wanted them to, to go ahead and preserve life on the Sabbath. That's okay. The, the Pharisees even, just shortly prior to this in history, had had a big argument about, are we allowed to save life on the Sabbath? What if we're being attacked? It was a, a major Jewish revolt that had happened within the last about 150 years. If we're being attacked, can we defend ourselves? Because that means that we're going to be killing on the Sabbath, but we're doing it to save life. So, and, and there was a, uh, I mean, it was not just a simple question. They, they spent long time, and they finally concluded, it is okay to take a life in the preservation of an innocent life. So if you're being attacked, you can self-defend, you can defend others if it's on the Sabbath, because what you're really doing is saving a life. So that's okay. So they had already argued through this and fought through this and come to that conclusion. And again, I I think that Jesus was well aware of all of their arguments and rabbinical teachings and all of that stuff. And so he's asking them a question that they should have known. Even if they didn't know about all of the arguments that had happened just recently, they ought to know God well enough that God desires the protection of life, that God values human life and wants it preserved and taken care of. So he gives them this very, very simple question. He sets it up so they can, they can crush it. They can hit a home run with their answer. But they don't even swing the bat. What does it say? It says, but they kept silent. Now, I don't know for sure what they were thinking. Whether they were thinking, oh, he's got us, we're trapped, there's no good answer. Or they were just... Nope, I'm not going to let him dig his own hole. Let him, let him get himself into trouble. Who knows? I don't, I don't know what they were thinking. But they kept silent. They said nothing. And I, I think that we need to notice the heart of Christ in this. He sets it up and makes it plain and simple. He, they should know God well enough to know that he desires good things. He doesn't want them to be harmed. He wants beneficial, not negative and the, the whole point is not that they, they would be able to harm others, but they are allowed during the Sabbath in their worship and reverence of God to do good things for other people. And yet, the Pharisees aren't even willing to acknowledge that. And Jesus looks around at them with anger. We don't see anger very often as a positive thing. And yet, Jesus had a righteous indignation and anger towards their indifference, 
towards their hypocrisy, towards their attitude that would have them there looking for a way that they could kill Jesus, but not even willing to do a good deed if they have the ability to help this man who has a withered hand. He looks at them with anger, but it's not just anger to be mad, to be upset. It says that he's grieved. And I think sometimes we, we have an idea in our minds of what anger is, and we don't understand the way that God views anger and that God deals with these things. He is angry, but that anger is coupled with grief, with sorrow, because of their hardness of heart. These are individuals who should have known better. They, they ought to have known what God expected and what God desired, but instead, their hearts were hardened, and they weren't even looking to understand who God was or looking to worship him. They were just looking to find a way to stick it to Jesus and get him in trouble. Jesus looks at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus has set up this opportunity, this interaction. He's made it plain and clear. God desires good things. He doesn't look for death. He doesn't look for harm. He's not wanting those. It is acceptable. It is good to worship him and to do what is right. What kind of reaction should the Pharisees have had to this? They've seen his power. They've seen his authority. They've seen his wisdom. They've seen his knowledge. They ought to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. Or, or at least be amazed. Like, oh, wow. That's impressive that he was able to heal this guy. But instead, they went out. On the Sabbath day, recall, they went out and began taking counsel with the Herodians. These are people that the Jews didn't like. <laughs> These are ones who supported and encouraged the Roman Empire and uh, were probably not clean, were not followers of the law, were not the types of folks that they ought to have been aiming to have this arrangement with. But they went out taking counsel. Another, another translation puts it as conspiring together. These Pharisees who claimed to be all about following the law, doing things the way that God wants them done, they immediately went out and were taking counsel with the Herodians against Jesus as to how they might destroy him. They do the exact opposite of what they claimed to be. Someone mentioned earlier hypocrisy. Textbook definition right there. Throughout these five interactions, we've seen Jesus dealing with the religious leaders. And I, I started off, and I really do think that they had the opportunity right at the beginning to ask reasonable questions and, and good, basic, seeking understanding. Because this was something new and different and strange and weird. And they should be solidly set in what the Bible taught and not just automatically, oh, it's a, it's a fancy thing, some, some magic happened, and so we're going to start following this guy. They started asking questions. But when they were faced with the facts, when the evidence was displayed to them, and it was clear to see that Jesus is the Messiah, 
the promised one of Israel, the one that they were looking for, hoping for, desiring, this is God himself represented among them. When faced with the opportunity to bow in worship to God, as he intended and as he desired, the Pharisees did the exact opposite. They went out and they started to try and find a way that they could kill him, execute him, get rid of him, get him gone. We are going to take a look at the transitional section that comes, but I'm going to save that for next week. Because I want to ask you a question. And this is the question that Mark sets up over and over and over again as we go through his gospel. Who is Jesus and what are you going to do about it? The Pharisees had a clear understanding of who he was. They were without excuse in understanding that this is God himself. He made statements to prove it. He took actions to prove it. He has done anything and everything that was possible to let it be known he is the Messiah. The Pharisees, the experts in the law, the ones who are supposed to know God most well, they have this chance and this opportunity to bow the knee, to worship him, and they don't. The question that I would ask us, when we're faced with who Jesus is, what is our reaction? Every time that we realize he is God, he is powerful, he is awesome, he is amazing, he is in charge, it should bring us to our knees in worship, in adoration, in praise to him. If we've not accepted him as our personal savior, we should put our lives in his hand, trusting him, asking him for forgiveness. If we have, we should regularly be coming back to him in worship, seeking fellowship and to build our relationship with him. These Pharisees had the perfect opportunity and they wasted it. They blew it off. And yet, we're going to continue through and we're going to see that God doesn't cut them off. Jesus doesn't cast them out. He's going to continue to interact with them and to teach and to train and to send his disciples to preach and to proclaim and we're going to find that the mercy and grace of Jesus is truly astounding. But I leave you with this question. Who is Jesus? And what are you going to do with him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this example of an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. And Lord, you made it abundantly clear made it plain and, and simple to see who Jesus was. They rejected him and sought to kill him. Lord, help us not to reject, but to desire to know, to learn of, to seek, to love, and to worship Jesus because he is your son. He is God himself. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.